Hello and welcome to CotyCast, the podcast for debate, discussion and analysis of issues around elderly care and general medicine. Uh, I'm your host today, I'm Peter Brock, a geriatrics registrar, and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, my regular co-host, Nick Saxon. Um, but two people new to the podcast, which is Chris Taylor and Emma Fiskin, who are also uh, geriatrics registrars here in the North East. Hello, guys. Hello. Hi. Thank you very much for coming along to the pub where we're recording uh, this issue. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Uh, There's no alcohol on the table in our defence. So uh, today we're talking about polypharmacy as it's something that we come across every day in our work and something that without doubt affects the patient group we're interested interested in. So just to start you out with some facts about polypharmacy. Um, we know that in 2010, over 20% of patients were on more than five drugs. A percentage of them were on more than 10 drugs. What we know is that the more medications you're on, the more likely that one of those medications is going to be inappropriate for you, and the more likely that you're going to get an adverse drug reaction as a result. About 6% of hospital admissions are related to adverse drug reactions, so anything we can do to cut those down is going to be useful. And today we're going to talk a little bit about why it's a problem that affects older patients in a great proportion than it would others. Um, why does it tend to happen? Um, some tips that we've gained from our own work and from talking to other people about how we can avoid polypharmacy and the effects of it and the difference that anyone of any grade can make to a patient by reviewing their drugs and having to think about things. So I'm going to open things up to the whole group now and um, just ask from your guys' every day-to-day work, why do you think polypharmacy, this prescription of five to ten medicines for patients, tends to happen? So, Nick, I'll start with you. Well, I think in the elderly population, they tend to accumulate medical problems and as a result of that, um, independent prescribers who are seeing them for each respective medical problem will prescribe a medication for that problem and then before you know it they'll be on a whole host of medications that might interact with each other without them without that specialist perhaps looking at the medications as a whole and and I think you know it that's something that we should tackle as geriatricians who are perhaps more generalist in their approach rather than specialist and maybe with the as you say with the guidelines there's lots of information about starting drugs but not about when to stop them or when to reduce them in the guidelines and I think also sort of when you know if you're being seen by lots of different specialists for various you know comorbidities that you've got as an elderly patient they're all quite focused on their individual system and they're because they're not necessarily designed to take a more systems based approach like we are in looking at the whole picture and therefore you're constantly tinkering and adjusting and adding some medications for certain conditions and, and illnesses that they're reviewing but not thinking about the other ones as well so they're just piling up and rather than just taking a big look at the overall picture yeah it's it's, it's tough isn't it because every medication has obviously started with a positive intent you're you're wanting to do some good um, by starting that medication and like Emma mentioned that some of that can be driven from data that tells us you know people are going to have better outcomes in the long term on these drugs mm. even if in the immediate sense we're not treating a symptom and as a result you, yeah you can just see how drugs build up and and we've highlighted how geriatricians can deliberately try and look at the whole picture and try and have a bit more holistic view about using them all together but actually a GP or in fact any hospital professionals and counseling patients you've got to you've got to think about this when you're when you're adding in your new medications i think 
there are certain patterns that you see that can encourage a bit of polypharmacy. Um, sometimes you'll pick up what, uh, what can be described as a prescribing cascade, where you get one drug started for a reason that can cause a side effect, and then you start another drug to treat the side effect. Um, so a, a classic one that I've seen quite a bit is someone's got high blood pressure, you start them on amlodipine, and it gives them some ankle swelling as a result, so then they go on to fruzamide mm-hmm. to treat the ankle swelling rather than just thinking about stopping the amlodipine. Um, I wonder if there's any other sort of habits that, that occur that other people have noticed in their, in their work that you think adds to the build-up of medication other than just that we're trying to get people better from what we're doing. I think if you... If you don't look at the patient as a whole, that's the, that's you know error number one. So if you if you look at someone as a series of numbers and perhaps their blood pressure is a little bit higher, and um, you might your gut reaction might be to start an antihypertensive. But what you need to look at is what's the benefit of starting that drug. And in the elderly population, are they really going to gain any prognostic benefit from starting an antihypertensive? So I think it's just taking a step back before the gut reaction of, of treating a number rather than the patient. Chris, do you think there's a bit of a fear of changing people's medications if they've been started by another medical professional? I think so, yeah. I mean, and I think certainly, um, you know, on a day-to-day ward level, if you're looking at uh, patients' medications on a ward round and reviewing a drug chart and you've seen various drugs, you know, as Nick was saying, say antihypertensive drugs that have been started by cardiology consultant or a physician in a medical clinic and someone's maybe slightly hypotensive or actually they've got a lying and standing postural drop, you know, and they sort of think, well, actually, this has been started for a reason by an eminent consultant or someone far more senior themselves and would feel, you know, I mean, I was exactly the same when I first started out. You feel quite intimidated at changing people's medications in that way. And actually, you know, the reason that you're doing it is for the patient's benefit, not for the, you know, for the merit of the person that prescribed them in the first place. So, you know, I think if there's a reason why someone shouldn't be on something, don't be afraid to make the change. But obviously discuss it with someone if you're not sure about that. And obviously, you know, highlighting it and reviewing it at a later date is very important so Emma I know you were you've already mentioned uh, to us but when we were talking about this topic about problems with hospital medications as inpatients getting started and the reasons for them not being communicated very well to people um, I wondered if you wanted to expand on that Yes, I suppose communication documentation problems. So often in hospital a medication might get started on an as required basis or a PRN like for example, sometimes someone might come overnight and give some Zopoclone to someone who's not sleeping or an anti-sickness. And then when the discharge summary is ready, um, someone might put that on as a regular medication and these patients might end up going home with kind of unnecessary medications and ones that might potentially do harm as well in terms of kind of Zopoclone and benzodiazepines. Yeah, and I think we all just have to look out for these types of patterns in our in our work, don't we, and, and try and recognise them, and that's when we can start doing something about it. And I, I guess there's also the over, overriding point that, um, as medics, we like to try and do something to make people better, and the easiest tool that we have to do things is usually by adding in a drug, Yeah. because we know there's some evidence that said that that might improve something. Um, but perhaps even then, we before we go for the drug route, we have to try, we should be trying to think of a non-pharmacological solution to a problem um, to avoid ending up with polypharmacy. Yeah. Maybe having stop dates on medications if it's appropriate, so yeah. they don't just get carried on yeah. and carried on. Absolutely. So, Nick, why is polypharmacy a particular problem for older patients? Say compared to if I was taking five drugs as a twenty-year-old and 
and everyone's still taking five drugs as an 80-year-old. The, the main difference is that the elderly population, they handle medications different to the younger population. So, you know, if you took an antihypertensive medication um, and you were on it for a long period of time, it would accumulate and it would, uh, it would create more of an antihypertensive effect, putting you at high risk of fall. So I think it's important that you, you, know, you review medications regularly, um, especially in the elderly, because things change over time. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we've already mentioned, the, Chris, you mentioned the fact that as you get older, you're more likely to have more medical morbidity. Mm-hmm. You're going to see more medical professionals. You're going to end up with more tablets. Yeah. It's a real, real build-up effect. So, Emma, are there, are there any tools out there, other than just the sort of common-sense things we've already mentioned, that you can use to try and uh, tackle this problem? Um, yes, yeah, so I was looking this up, and I forgot to look at my paper because I can't remember it. <laughs> the, <laughs> the name of it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think there's a number of different ones. One's called the Beers Criteria, but one that I think is maybe a bit more useful is called the Stop Start Criteria. And this it's got two components of it. The first part is the Stop part, and that's a screening tool of older persons' prescriptions. And what that does is splits it into kind of body systems so kind of inappropriate cardiovascular medications or inappropriate respiratory medications so for example kind of withdrawing a thiazide if someone's hyponatremic or got gout or not starting it in those patients or don't give fruzamide just for ankle edema if there's no signs of heart failure Um, and it kind of looks at all the different systems and kind of highlights drugs that are commonly a problem but the other kind of interesting part of it is the start part of it which is a screening tool to alert doctors to the right treatment because one of the side effects of having polypharmacy is that you might actually under-treat conditions that they need treatment for um, because they're already on so many drugs that you don't want to start another one um, and that kind of this part of the tool looks at kind of evidence-based rules of when to start medication for example kind of you know aspirin after an MI for mm. example um, other useful things that I've found, I think there's a Canadian website which has got actually de-prescribing algorithms on it, so how to kind of slowly withdraw things like benzodiazepines or um, an inappropriate PPI. Um, and I think, if, if you, to be honest, if you just Google, there's lots of different trusts around the region that have kind of good um, medicines reconciliation pages that kind of give you some helpful tips and hints. And we will put uh, links to all of those websites and to those tools onto the notes that come with the podcast if you want to check them out. Yeah, it's really interesting, the, the psychology behind it for doctors, isn't it? So we've been talking all about how, oh, we really love to start drugs to try and make a difference. But then if you start to become aware of polypharmacy, and, you, and then you become reluctant to treat To start something yeah. new, yeah. <laughs> so it's a, real, it's a bit of an intellectual challenge, isn't it? So I think we've made it clear that... Um, there are multiple routes that can lead into polypharmacy happening, but the older population are particularly vulnerable to it. Um, so why don't we go around the group and um, each give some tips on how we can avoid this happening or how we can deal with it you know, in our everyday work on the wards when we meet patients for the first time. So, uh, Chris, can I start? Um, so I think probably two of the things that I've learned uh, the most over the past few years while I've been practicing is just two questions um, to ask when you're on a ward round or seeing patients on admissions um, and that's what and why um, so what if if someone's on something that you don't recognize or you've not seen before go and look it up to find out what it is um, we've got patients that are on drugs that and they've been on them for a, a number of years and they're not in the current 
prescribing guidance and consequently you don't recognise them or what their adverse effects might be and that might be you know part of what's contributing to someone's presentation or their current problems so I'll certainly say that's one of the, the key things um, and then also why so if, if you're looking at drugs that patients are on why are they on it um, which is often a useful question to ask and you'd be amazed at the number of people that don't ask that question that's how a lot of these things get missed mm-hmm. um, and, and drugs build up um, and also if you're going to start something why are you going to start it and what's the intended benefit going to be um, and does the benefit outweigh the possible adverse effects when you're prescribing these drugs I think they're probably my two key yeah. things that I would nice. say nice. so ask what ask why that's excellent uh, Nick any tips from you so I, I think the key is getting into the habit of reviewing them on every patient on every ward round um, it's a it's so easy when someone, especially in geriatrics, when someone's medically fit, you just say, right, you're medically fit, you have a quick look at them and then you move on. When in actual fact, you could be doing something beneficial for them, having a really good look at their medications um, and having a think, is there anything here that we can do um, to you know, stop this patient taking 10 plus medications? If there isn't, there isn't, but at least you're in a regimented routine on your ward round of reviewing it so that the time does when it does when you do see something that you know you can do something about then you know at least it's in your in your routine yeah yeah i think this is so true i think we should have like when you're seeing a patient before they discharge you should have a deliberate discharge review of medications because as emma was saying the number of medications we should start short term particularly for symptoms in hospital that end up without end dates on them and become part of people's regular medications that they might not need um, is it, it can be it can be a real contributor to polypharmacy. So I think building that into your practice, even when the patient's medically fit, is a really good idea. Um, so thanks, Nick. Emma, any tips from you? Uh, maybe two things. One, I always forget to do ask over-the-counter medications uh, because you'll be surprised how many elderly people are taking things like non-steroidals for osteoarthritis pain. Um, and maybe sharing medications as well. My grand does that <laughs> with her South African friend. Um, and the other thing is, if you do stop someone's medications, tell the patient that you're stopping them and why. Because otherwise, when they go out of hospital, they'll say, "Oh, where's my ACE inhibitor?" Or you know, "Where's my beta blocker?" Or something. And they'll go to their GP and get it re-prescribed because they might just think it's an, a mistake that it's been stopped and not a conscious decision. Yeah, I think you're right. I think communicating with patients is really, really good. So you know, talking to them and asking them. I had one case where um, a patient came in and she was just really, really hypotensive all the way through and her kidneys were getting worse and she was on a whole heap of antihypertensives and we just, you know, we, we stopped them all but we, we asked her and she said, I never take any of my medications. So it's actually really important that, you know, you do discuss medications with yeah. patients about whether they're actually taking them at all. Yeah, I think even with things like insulin as well, you know, some of these drugs are actually really quite dangerous and, and if patients are not taking them at home and they come in and the sugars are sky high and then you start ramping up their diabetes medications and all of a sudden they're having hypoglycemic episodes and you really don't know why, but it's because they weren't taking the tablets. Yeah. 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 Or sometimes they take their own medications in hospital, yeah. don't they? Yeah, and yeah. they're kind of taking them and you don't realise why things are getting worse and it's because yeah. what you've thought you've stopped, they're actually still exactly. having. Yeah. Excellent. And... Briefly for me, I think, um, do not underestimate how useful a pharmacist can be. Yeah. Um, we're recording this just just before uh, the new group of doctors is going to start in August. Mm. And um, for anyone who's listening as a medical student, as soon as you start work, you'll realise that your, your pharmacist can be one of your best friends. <laughs> particularly as a junior doctor when there will be medications that you don't recognise and you don't know what they, why they are there and what they're used for and what doses are appropriate. 
um, the pharmacists are absolutely brilliant so yeah. Yeah. Do, do engage with them at every opportunity and they will because they will they will speak to every patient and do a really detailed drug history and you can learn a lot from, from just those issues that you guys have just raised from your pharmacy team um, my final tip is that there are some bad drugs out there um, bad because as Nick has already described your physiology changes as you get older and um, how you handle certain medications really changes as a result and there are some absolutely classic ones that um, send a bit of a shiver down our spines when we see them on drug charts um, and I, so I thought very briefly I bet we can all name one if I go around quickly so quickly round the group uh, name one bad drug Nick and, what, just, and briefly why benzophenothiazide <laughs> bad for your sodium it's bad for your kidneys and it causes gout nice <laughs> Emma uh, benzodiazepine yep bad all round <laughs> can make you fall but if you're going to stop them do it slowly excellent thank you <laughs> tell your man Chris because it gives people really bad orthostatic hypotension and makes them fall over Nice, um, and particularly we were just mentioning that um, when you see people on drugs like tamsulosin and they've got a catheter in long term, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just not just not necessarily makes no sense. Yeah, stop it. Um, and finally, for me, um, anticholinergic medications—they um, affect your cognition. They make you more likely to be confused and delirious. Oxybutynin is an absolutely classic one. Um, and um, very briefly, it's also a classic example of a drug you see and patients are on drugs that act in complete opposite ways to each other. So you see patients who are on a um, cholinesterase inhibitor for their cognition because of their dementia um, that increases the amount of acetylcholine in your brain and then they're on an anticholinergic that, for their bladder problems that reduces it. And it's just it's two drugs that are acting opposite to each other and helping them in no way. So just keep an eye out for those. Um, so you mentioned, uh, you mentioned anticholinergics there, Pete. There's a really good tool called the Anticholinergic Burden Calculator, which is a really, really good tool. We'll put a link to it on the end of the podcast, where you can um, just look at the medications that your patients are on and calculate their anticholinergic burden and, and realise that actually... You know, it, it could be contributing to some of their symptoms and some of the medications you can tackle to try and uh, uh, to try and reduce that. So we'll put a link to that at the end of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's really worth just a brief look over. You'll be amazed about what drugs that you think have yeah. nothing to do yeah. with that system um, affect it. Um, so just glance at it for two minutes. It really will um, help your practice. Um, so I think we're going to bring things to a close there. Thank you very much to Nick, Chris, and Emma. Thanks for um, I hope. There have been some helpful tips emerge out of that, and I'm sure you were probably all aware of polypharmacy as a problem, but hopefully we've given you some advice on ways to tackle it and things to look out for. Um, we will put links to everything we've discussed in our show notes on the website, and as always, if you have any comments or if you want to be involved in any of our Casts, then please get in contact with us via our website, which is aeme.org.uk, or via Twitter, where you can find us at, uh, at ElderlyMedEd, uh, or on our Facebook page. Um, and we are looking to work with anyone who has a topic they want to discuss, um, be it around uh, care of elderly patients or around general medicine. So uh, I hope you enjoyed, and we look forward to hearing from you in the future. Thanks, Pete.